Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Riley Meek is the founder and CEO of the Social Dynamic Selling System, which turns dinner seminar marketing into a science. After responding to a small ad on Craigslist in 2009, Riley was introduced to a new concept of selling, one in which radically changed his life forever. Having just $673 in the bank account, but more importantly, a burning desire for more, Riley went on to produce over $80 million in sales over the past eight years. Now that he has perfected his model through the continual trial and error, he is sharing this learned wisdom and is on a mission to help other entrepreneurs and business owners achieve the revenue goals they have to live, the lifestyle they desire. Everything he teaches is tried, tested, refined, and proven to create predictable, sustainable, and scalable selling systems. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Riley. Yeah. Hey, Lori. Thanks for having me on. Well, I tell you, I'm excited to to chat. You have really learned through a difficult situation, ultimately how to sell uh, to more people more often, creating a great revenue stream. Before we get into the, the system here, and we're actually going to talk through a journey map that you've developed, tell us more about who you are and why you love the area that you've settled in from a professional standpoint. Sure. Yeah. So I started out, you know, my background was more selling one-on-one in which, you know, regardless of the product, it was, it was more so just sitting down with somebody individually or, you know, husband and wife, maybe together and taking them through kind of a sales process, which ultimately takes time. And um, I've always loved direct sales and, and concept of being able to kind of dictate my own income. However, I realized that ultimately my income was still going to be tapped by the amount of time that I had during, during a specific day. And I could only actually meet with a certain amount of people before the end of the day. Uh, and so while I, while I could sell different products and higher ticket items to make better commissions, it was still ultimately dependent upon the amount of time that I had. And the social dynamic selling system really has kind of evolved over the last decade based upon me simply responding from a, a Craigslist ad of all things. Don't you love it? I mean, it's all about timing, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Timing and I think of just being open to something new or something different. Right. It's that entrepreneurial spirit. Exactly. What caused me to even respond to that ad. Yeah. 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 It had to start somewhere. So explain to us uh, what social dynamic selling is. Yeah. I love explaining this because most people think they hear social dynamic and they, they think like social media or what is this? And at the end of the day, the social dynamic selling system or why I even came up with, with this term, we'll call it, is whenever there's a group of people together, there's a social dynamic taking place. And this could be, you know, when you're out at the club on a Saturday night, there's a group of people going on, there's a social dynamic happening there. Or when you're at church on on Sunday morning, there's the the pastor, the, the ushers, everybody else attending, there's just a dynamic taking place. And it's a beautiful atmosphere in which you can sell through this format if you're using certain you know, techniques to get that group of, of like-minded people to take action. I, I love it. It totally makes sense now. And I knew that going into the show, but nonetheless, it totally makes sense for our audience. Why, before we get into the journey map, why does it work so well? It works so well, I think really because it ultimately leverages our time, well, certainly our energy and efforts as well. But it, my kind of aha moment with this was 
when I responded to that ad and it was like, you know, I realized I could do one or two rock star presentations a week and then only meet with those that cared enough or, or wanted to know more or, you know, how much this product or project was going to be. Um, so it was, you hear a lot about kind of the online funnel systems, but we've really developed an offline funnel system where we're sifting the sand continually through our marketing efforts and only meeting with the people that want to know more or at least want to, to take that next step in making that buying decision. As we get into Riley explaining really how this offline funnel system works so well, social dynamic selling journey map is what we're going to refer to through the next several minutes of our interview today. So I'm going to talk through each one very quickly, just give you a headline and then we'll go back and really dive in. So step number one is marketing foundation. Step number two is a dinner campaign. Step number three, filling the room. Step number four, working the room. Step number five, follow up through, follow through. And step number six, grow and scale. So let's talk about marketing foundation. Absolutely. Yeah, I built this, this kind of journey map to really take people through this step-by-step -step process because, again, all about leveraging time and effort. This isn't something that I can just work with every single business owner, every entrepreneur one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we certainly do that, but I knew I had to put something in place that could teach people this system with me kind of being more hands-off. And so the, the step one of this is the, the marketing foundation is really identifying, you know, whatever your product or your service is, we still need to identify who your ideal customer is, who's your client avatar. And if, if we can identify that, that helps us to really build off that foundation essentially so we know how to, to market to them. And this is where, you know, if I was going to sit down with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, this is where we're really going to peel back the onion and identify what your true customer acquisition cost is, what the lifetime value is of your customer, and then identifying who they really are. This is a lot going to allow us to build off of how we'll design our marketing campaigns and pieces. And it could be super specific. It could be vague. You know, you could... If your ideal customer is 50-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed women that are, you know, six feet or taller, we can, we can get specific with that. Right. And that's where we really want to figure that out because, again, starting with the end in mind, the whole goal of this is to make sure that we're continually sifting the sand and, and ultimately finding that ideal customer that will be in your room that will allow you to present one-to-many um, again, it's one to many, but it, it, we, we need those that many to be that person that is actually interested in, in what you have to offer. Right. And I think a, a couple points here. Uh, first off, the avatar, we've had uh, several shows on that, defining the market, several shows on that as well. So listeners, as we're going through this process, keep in mind that we can provide you some additional detail on each one of these with just some of the other people that we've honed in on uh, on the show. But as we're walking through this, I think it'd be important, Riley, to really define for us up front some of the industries that this works very well for. Yeah, absolutely. So most people have probably heard of or at least know of like financial advisors that do a lot of these dinner presentations, these events. They've been doing that for the last you know few decades, which is, has worked very well for them. Um, but my process or my thought process with this was if it works so well in that format, why couldn't this be used in other industries? And that's where we really kind of took a step back and, and tried to figure out, you know, what type of product and services could be sold in this format? Because to be honest, if, you, if, if all you have is, not if all you have, but if, if your product is a $48 widget and there's no additional lifetime value to that client, this probably isn't going to be a good marketing format for you. You're just not going to be able to, 
you know, make enough money to sustain an ongoing, you know, marketing campaign. And so what we've found has worked really well. If, if somebody has a, a ticket item or at least a profit margin of at least a thousand to maybe 1500 bucks at the minimum and on up it, because it, this obviously does take money to, to do, you know, we're going to do, we do a lot of direct mail and we're essentially, we're, you know, we're booking out venues, we're buying dinners, things like that for folks. So it does take money to make happen. And so we want to make sure that we're allocating the money appropriately to make sure that, you know, somebody is successful and can continually do these ongoing campaigns. So it, it's worked very well in the home remodeling industry, in the cosmetic surgery industry, business opportunity. We work with a lot of dentists, investment right. groups. Right. And I think the other point here is apply what we're going to be talking about to your own business model. For instance, mm-hmm. you know, uh, step number two here is a dinner campaign. Well, that can be applied to you know, a B2B product trade show. Think through the process here, but apply it to what you're already doing. And I think that you'll uncover a lot of epiphanies or aha moments. Okay, so number two uh, is dinner campaign. Building this this dinner campaign, now that we've got the foundation kind of built, who we know that we want to invite, now it's more a matter of geographically maybe where we're looking to host this this actual event. And so if you're targeting individuals with a million dollars plus of income producing assets, you know, household incomes of $400,000 plus, you're probably going to want to choose a higher end restaurant like a Ruth's Chris or something along those lines. Versus if your ideal customer is more blue collar, makes $60,000 a year, works hard, but just more of a day-to-day type person, that's going to be, you know, let's go to the Lone Star Steakhouse. Not necessarily too crazy because again, we want to, starting with the end in mind is to make sure that we're targeting the correct person, but then we're going to allow them to come to a comfortable environment because the social dynamic is again, building that comfortable environment that is a neutral atmosphere. It's not them coming into your business to be pressured and sold something, but you're meeting in this nice neutral atmosphere that more than likely they've frequented before. And so there there's certain dates that we would choose to do these events on versus others. Um, I, you know, how to set up the room, how to negotiate with these restaurants and venues, because again, you are paying for this. And so we want to make sure that you're doing the right things possible. And there, there's certain tricks or strategies that, that you can use to, to help negotiate menu pricing and, and not having to pay for venues and, and things like that. So we, we build all of that through the dinner campaign in step two. Now, you, you mentioned uh, dates. What is the typical best day of week to hold an event like this? Yeah. So part of it depends on when we want the invitations to actually hit. And so if we, ideally we can get these, the invitations to hit 10 to 14 days in advance. So part of that is if you're looking at doing it on July 20th, we have to think about the July 4th happening, you know, of when we want the the mail to hit, which obviously is a holiday and mail isn't going to be happening. So there's a lot of pieces that you want to come into play versus just kind of throwing a dart at a board. But, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays are a pretty common day of the week that that work well. It allows people to kind of be in the week and, and, you know, plan ahead. Uh, Usually there's not a lot of activities or extracurricular things going on. Uh, But again, all of that depends upon too, on who we're inviting. You know, if if it's a retiree, they probably don't have as much going on versus a 35-year-old family that's got kids at home and they're, you know, constantly activities going on. So we, we want to make sure that we're, why these are in appropriate steps is starting again with the end in mind, we're going to walk through this step by step to make sure that we're not missing any of these important details that could make or break any campaign. 
And I think that's fantastic. Uh, and then we move into point three here, or step three rather, which is filling the room. Yeah, filling the room. This is uh, obviously we can have a great product. We can identify who our target market is. But if we don't get anybody to show up to the event, we're just wasting our time. And so in part of making sure that our message is clear, it is consistent throughout this whole process is making sure that our invitation is has the proper message to it. And so if uh, we talk about like home remodeling, if you're going to talk about redoing somebody's kitchen in your invitation, that better be what you talk about in your, your presentation. And so this is where we even start to, with the end in mind, we, we want to fill the room, but we still need to know the next step of which is we'll get into working the room of, you know, making sure that our presentation and our, our message is clear throughout this whole process. Uh, so the invitation on timing and when to hit that, when to hit homes is important. Like I said, we do a ton of direct mail, hundreds of thousands of pieces every single week through our companies. And we found that that it probably sounds archaic to a lot of folks, but um, but it really is the best return on investment when when building these these dinner campaigns because it allows me to measure everything appropriately. It's it's easy if I send five thousand pieces and I get fifty calls. It's a it's a pretty easy trackable or measurable format that, that we can use versus just, you know, impressions and paper clicks and, and things like that. And it's getting somebody to, to take that time out of the day to call ahead in RSVP. So we have scripts and everything on, on how to handle the, the phone conversations, you know, which mail houses to use. We've I've used a ton out there and there's, there is a bunch out there and there's certain ones that I would suggest and certain ones that I would maybe steer clear from as well. But that's, that's really, you know, filling the room is going to be one of the most important aspects of this. So we've got, and I think, you know, one of the tough parts also is making sure, you know, back to point number one that you've made is, you know, making sure that you've got the right database so that the tools that you're pushing out from a marketing standpoint can be successful. Hence, uh, direct mail, you've got a database that you know, ultimately is the perfect possible customer based on your research that you could possibly get in front of. Just out of curiosity, there's so many different ways to acquire databases, you know, paid, researched on your own. What are you finding are the best approaches these days? A number of ways. I mean, we work specifically with a, a marketing company that allows us to really get specific and, and, and even kind of like triple verify information because as specific as we can get, some of it's only, it dep it's dependent upon the data that that individual gives um, because it is, you know, they had to check a box or fill the form out. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a perfect system by any means, but we have definitely found there are better sources than others. And uh, to, to verify those from multiple entities, I think is going to be important because this is going to be your biggest expense in any of this campaign is, is buying that data and then obviously mailing those invitations out. Right. No doubt about it. But, you know, I have to say uh, we're a strong proponent of direct mail. We are finding a resurgence of the use of direct mail for a lot of our B2B brands, you know, retail openings, you know, five mile radius, you know, around some of our retail stores. It's working very, very well. So I would say it's, you know, although it seems archaic, you know, just like fashion, things come back into style and so is direct mail. Absolutely. Okay. Step number four is working the room. Yeah. So this is, again, kind of piggybacking off of filling the room and making sure our, our message is clear. We want to make sure that, that we're delivering a proper presentation. And this is the most important part. You know, we've done everything that, that we can to get that, that correct person into your room. Now it's up to you or the, the, the presenter or the salesman to deliver this presentation and really get them to know, like, and trust you. 
Because that's the whole point of this isn't, I mean, obviously we want to make sales, but people are only going to do business with those that they know, like, and ultimately trust. And and that's the, the whole goal of this. And this is important in, in getting there early enough to make sure that you and the staff at the restaurant are, are, you know, on the same team, on the same page with timing of when you want the meal to come out, when should salads come out, when should there be no interruptions. All of that is crucial in this. Um, again, that that won't necessarily make or break it, but you are on stage at any point that whenever your first person arrives. And so you want to make sure that you have everything buttoned up and in place uh, prior to this. So when your guests do arrive, you can be focused directly on them and making them feel comfortable. And again, ultimately establishing that, that authority that you are the expert in that industry, in that location, and then you can deliver your presentation. And then ultimately, the goal isn't necessarily to make a sale at that that day. I do like to be clear that this isn't like some rah, 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 rush to the back of the room and, and purchase this you know product. It's more of building a relationship with them and, and getting that know, like, and trust that I had mentioned to ultimately ask for that appointment or ask for that initial or that extra time with them one-on-one where you can then kind of move to step five, which is follow up and follow through. Right. And, and before we go there, I want to make a point with, with step four that I think is very important here. I think this is where most people lose the audience that they've spent such an enormous amount of money and research bringing to the table, right? They don't have the sales process defined from a presentation standpoint in a way that is really going to motivate. For instance, talking heads, uh, you know, all you hear is talking, you're not providing, you know, background visuals or people that can't develop a, a message well, let alone people that aren't believable ultimately before they get in front of an audience to, to talk. Um, what advice do you have for our listeners there? Yeah, absolutely. We spend so much time on this step, specifically when we're working with somebody one-on-one because everybody learns differently and and there's so many things that you can do to speak to them subconsciously. Uh, and we want to make sure we're hitting all senses when, when we're doing these presentations. It isn't just, you know, talk to, you know, hear yourself talk. It is emotionally taking them on a journey through this process because every buying decision as as logical as it it should be every buying decision is an emotional decision and so we take them on this journey this emotional journey that makes sense logically of why they would do business with you again whatever your product or or service is and so we want to hit them you know with auditorily you know kinesthetically visually we want to have the proper things in place and designing this presentation to get them to ultimately make that that decision to do business with you we always say you know for trade shows four days uh, look at it as though it's actually five days because the first day back from the trade show should be the final day of of the trade show and that is when you start your follow-up sales process uh, which is step number five and this is so important because there's nothing more frustrating than doing this presentation. You get a round, you know, stand it up round of applause at the end, like great. But if you got zero appointments, that was still ultimately a failed, failed event. And right. so, and believe me, early on, I had plenty of these. Um, and it was the constantly fixing and refining and, and again, make, getting them to make those decisions. Nobody wants to be sold. Everybody wants to buy. And so your job is to make them feel comfortable and put them in that position where they make the decision to buy with you. And so the follow-up and follow-through process is definitely, even those that didn't necessarily get an appointment from, 
you have now collected you know their data you have their information they've already spent an hour maybe hour and a half with with you assuming you did a good enough job just because they didn't necessarily make the decision right then and there to work with you doesn't mean they're not a good candidate down the road or when the when the timing is appropriate and so it's important to continually build that database and taking, you know, having a proper CRM system in place to take them through, you know, your, your follow-up campaigns. And that's really what the focus of step five would be is to make sure we're not letting any potential leads or potential sales kind of fall through the cracks. Yeah, I cannot agree. And then, you know, this is where it all comes together, quite frankly, and you start the whole process over, which is grow and sale and scale rather step six. Absolutely. And this, this could be different for anybody or any business owner on here, because some people are, are fine with just working you know, locally and, and that's their niche. That's just what they want to focus on. But uh, when I started, it was, it was me and me alone. And then we grew to, you know, second guy, a third guy, six guys to over 26 crews selling every single week where we were sending hundreds of thousands of mail pieces every single week in 38 different states. And the only way we allowed that to happen was because of the system that was in place, that every single person had a role and a job. And that's really kind of backing it, you know, starting over from step one again, step one, step two, step three, and and making sure that we have the, the proper people in place to be, be able to scale. And this is important too, because I like to give this example. We recently worked with a, a solar company that was in Florida, headquartered in Florida. They had a great reputation, good business in Florida, but they were finally at the point where they wanted to scale and grow into the Carolinas. But they had zero brand recognition. Uh, they didn't have any you know, potential customers or clients. They didn't even have an office location in th- those areas. They could definitely fulfill from an installation standpoint if need be. And so um, they asked us to, to help them grow into that area. And so within five weeks, we had a room full of their ideal customers that they could go speak to. And that we filled the room. We, we did everything that we normally would do, but we just did it in a different market geographically where they could go in, do the exact same thing and build their brand and reputation without having any additional like upfront brand or or recognition in that area. So it does. That's fantastic. So where are you? I I know we've talked about a few of the industries It's solar. Is it more, do you feel a consumer brand um, with, you know, the dinner campaign? And of course we've established that this can be utilized for B2B markets, but for your company, are you more focused on, you know, the consumer side of things uh, with, you know, solar? Yes. Yeah. So my companies are definitely more B2C where we have a product and a service and we're now going to try to find, you know, homeowners or consumers that, that want this, this product or service. The social dynamic selling is the consulting side of our business in which we definitely are, uh, we've worked with B2B opportunities and things like that, but it's, it's just a different method or a different format that, that we would go down. Primarily because if my goal is to find target CEOs or you know, CFOs or whatever it is, using direct mail, they're probably not the one that's getting their own mail. You know, they've got kind of that gatekeeper. And so as with, you know, any sort of marketing campaign, there's always that we want to get to that decision maker. And so there's other things that we may need to do to bypass uh, that gatekeeper to get to that person that's going to make that decision. So 
for the most part, we do, we do a lot of B2C, but we definitely have worked with business opportunities and uh, investment groups and things like that, that we are targeting a, a different clientele, like business owners. That's fantastic. Riley Meek, thank you so much for your interview today on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Remember, social dynamic selling and the journey map that Riley shared with us today will help you sell to more people more often and leverage time and energy. Thank you for your appearance. Thanks, Lori. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.